Let me read the verse, Ephesians chapter 5, verse 28 through 31. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 28 through 31. And you know what? I'm going to back up since we have people who haven't been with us. And so um, I'm going to start in 22 and I'm going to come down just so we have context. So Ephesians chapter 5, verse 22 through 31. The word of God reads, wives, be subject to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ also is the head of the church. He himself being the savior of the body. Verse 24. But as the church is subject to Christ, so also the wives ought to be subject, ought to be to their own husbands in everything. 25. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself up for her. We looked at that a few weeks ago. So that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word. Remember that word there is the word rhema. It's that special deep word, right? That he might present to himself the church in all her glory, having no spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she would be holy and blameless. Beautiful bride, right? 28. So husbands also to love their own wives as their own bodies. Paul is changing the imagery here, the analogy. He's going to a body now. He who loves his own wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ also does the church. 30. Because we are members of his body. 31. For this reason a man shall leave his father and mother and shall be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. We'll stop there. One flesh. Where's my water? Excuse me. So I just kind of want to recap from the last time we were in this section of Ephesians. We looked at how the husband and the wife relationship is analogous to Christ in the church, right? That was the first part of Ephesians 5, verses 20 through 22 through 27. So the husband and wife's relationship is analogous, again, to Christ and the church. We saw how the wife is called to come under the leadership of her husband, right? As the church does to Christ. We looked at that. We also looked at how the husband is supposed to lead and love his wife like Christ does the church. We, we dug into that. We also looked at how the husband is called to take on Superman type qualities, right? Towards his wife. We asked the question, are you your wife's Superman? Um, cause like as Superman, he provides, he protects. And so a husband is called to provide, protect, and not just financially in those matters, but also emotionally. He's to be that source there. We looked at how the husband, like Christ, is called to sacrifice for his wife, like Christ did for the church. Right? That's also part of the role of the husband. And the husband should be speaking the word, the word of God to his wife and words of life to his wife, like Christ does the church. Right. So that's what we looked at. And on today, as Paul does, we're going to continue to focus on the husband here because that's what Paul does. And as you see, he's going to change the, 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 the analogy or the image. And so. In the beginning from Ephesians 5, 22 to 27, the analogy or the image was this husband and wife relationship in Christ and the church. But now he's moving to this body analogy, right? He's going to be comparing the, the relationship of a husband and a wife to a body, right? He uses a human body. And so that's how he's going to flip the analogy and imagery from verse 28 down through 31. 
So that's what we're going to be looking at today, how the husband and wife relationship is, 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 uh, resembles a body. And the reason that Paul uses a body here is because a body shows the nearness and the closeness that a husband and a wife shall have. So when, when he used the relationship aspect of it, back in verse 22 through 27, he was showing you the relationship dynamic of a marriage, how a husband is, is likened to Christ and the wife is likened to the church. He's showing you the relationship of a marriage. But now when he moves to the body, he's showing you the nearness, the intimacy, the closeness that a husband and wife should have with one another. So that's very, very important. So we'll dig into some of that uh, today. But I, I want to recap, or I want to bring out this point, this, this statement that uh, I made last week that I really hope you caught, and I just want to bring it up again. And, and that point was this, for eternity, for eternity, church, Christ is going to have the same loving commitment to you as a faithful husband has to his bride. really want you to get that for eternity. Think on that, that Christ's commitment and his love for you will never change. He will always be your Superman. He will always have that commitment to you like a loving, faithful husband has for his bride for eternity. Chew on that for eternity. That's always going to be the relationship for eternity, always having that love and faithful commitment to his church, you, his bride. That is something that I pray that you can just chew on and just chew on and just think about that. Christ is the true good husband, right? A couple of years ago, they had this TV show called The Good Wife. Some of you probably watched it, right? It's called the, it was called The Good Wife. Well, they should make another show called The Good Husband that, that spotlights, that highlights Christ's love and commitment to his bride, the church, because he is truly the good husband. He is faithful to his bride, right? So that's a, that's a thought that I really want you to chew on. Another thought I want you to chew on is this. In eternity's future, when you receive your glorified body, your glorified self, never having to deal with this flesh, this sin anymore, never have to deal with temptation, do you realize then you will be able to truly fulfill, to, to, to truly be able to fulfill your role as a good wife and love God with all of your heart, soul, and mind? Do you realize that, that that's when that will happen? In eternity's future, you will truly be that good bride, that good bride of church will truly be that good bride? Because, yes, as a church, we love Christ, right? We, but we don't honor him like we always should, right? We don't love him like we always should. But in eternity's future, when his flesh is gone, when temptation is gone, then you will truly be that good wife. And then you will truly be able to love Christ with all of your heart, all of your soul, and all of your mind. Because right now, see, we only know in part, right? Isn't that what 1 Corinthians uh, uh, 13 tells us? That we know in part, meaning that we only know and fully understand God truly in part. We are seeing through a glass darkly. Right. But in eternity's future, guess what? We will fully know Christ and we will be able to fully love him like we desire to. Because I get it. Some of us in here, we get frustrated because we feel like, man, I'm not loving Christ like I should. I'm not honoring Christ like I should. Well, those are good desires, church. That's good that you feel like I want to love Christ more. I want to do more. And guess what? In eternity's future, you will actually do that. You will truly be that good wife. You will truly love, again, God with all of your heart, soul and mind. 
Now, don't give up here on this side of earth. Keep continuing trying to love Jesus with all that you have. But just know in the future, that desire that you have in you to just truly just really love Christ like mad, like crazy, it will come to pass. So that's, that's a good hope that we have. You will be that good wife, church. Now, before we dig into 28, um, I want, like I said, I want to back up and dig to a thought that the Lord just sprung on me in the previous verses that we looked at, but I just didn't see it at the time. See, the word of God is like ketchup, right? Just get, get, get what I mean by this ketchup bottle. We, anybody like ketchup on their hot dogs, right? You're, are you ever been to that? You ever been like when you got your hot dog ready and you got your ketchup bottle? And you realize, man, it ain't nothing in here, right? And so you, you shake it, and then when you shake it, you squeeze, right? You, you shake it, and you squeeze. You're trying to squeeze all the rest of that little ketchup that's left, right? You try, that's how the Word of God is, right? You can read it, and you squeeze it, but then there's still always something left in the ketchup bottle where you go back, and then you see something different. And you, you read it a year ago, but now you see something again, and you're like, whoa, it's just, it's just always something in that ketchup bottle. That's the Word of God, right? So I, I read it last week, but then you shake the bottle up again, meaning you go and read the scripture again, and you're like, whoa, God, I didn't even see that. It's always something in God's ketchup bottle, right? It's always something there. So um, the thing that I, that's in the ketchup bottle that, that I seen reading this week that I didn't see last week with regards to the husband and his role with, the, with his wife is this. Husbands, do you know? that you are called to help your wife to become her best Christian self. That's part of your role. That's part of your call to use a, a popular, uh, a pop culture term. I know, I know that's a pop culture term. Everybody say, let's be your best self, right? And uh, there's some truth in that. But husband, do you realize as a husband with this Christ-like role that you were called to take, you are called to help your wife to become her best Christian self. And some of you are saying, okay, Jerome, that sounds great. That sounds cute. Nice. Uh, what are you talking about? Show me that in scripture. What are, you, what are you talking about? Look at Ephesians 5, 25 through 27. Let's read that and, and see if you can get what I mean. So he says in 5, uh, 25 verse 25 through 27, he says this, Husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church. Look what he does. And gave himself up for her so that he might sanctify her, meaning set her apart. What did he do? Having cleansed her. How did he do it? By the washing with water of the word. Why does he do it? That he might present to himself, what is he going to present to himself? The church in all her glory. Look what she's going to have. She's not what she's not going to have. Having no spot, no wrinkle or any such thing, but that she will be holy and blameless. So Christ is going to wash the church with his word, the rhema, so that he might present the church to himself, her having no spot, no wrinkle, thus the church being her best self, right? The, the, the finality, her, her best self. That's what Christ is doing. He's washing the church. He's, he's cleansing her. We talked about the analogy of us, us with, our, with our kids when we brought them home from the hospital and how we begin to wash the dirt off them when we gave them their first bath. And how Christ did the same thing with us. He washed the dirt off us. Why? So that he can present us in glory with splendor, with no spot on us to himself. 
the church then being her best self because Christ has washed her. Now, what this verse shows us is one that you can only become your best self, not through self-help books, but through Christ, right? Because Christ has to cleanse you what by his word. So if you want to become the best version of you, if you want to become the best version of yourself, then guess what? You have to get to know Jesus because he washes, right? And if you don't believe me, just go ask the person who hated herself and who hated their life, and they will tell you that Jesus washes. And if you don't believe that person, just go ask the person who was addicted, and now they have this power over their addiction. They will tell you that Jesus washes, that they are now the best version of themselves as they walk with Jesus. So we see that he washes. And how does he wash us again? He washes, Paul says, by the word, the water of the word, and he sanctifies, right, with his blood. We looked at how this picture that Paul gives of Christ sanctifying the church is, is, is very similar to the Old Testament priests when they were being ordained. When a when the priest was being ordained, they would have to cleanse themselves with water, and then they would be sprinkled with the blood of their sacrifice. And, and by doing that, they were now set apart. They were sanctified and set apart for God's services. So God has done the same thing with you, church. He washes you by his word. He washes you with his blood. He sanctifies you and sets you apart. So he washes by his word and his blood. I mean, he speaks to the church and by his blood, he also does action by sacrificing himself. So husbands, you want your wife to be her best Christian self? Husband, if you want your wife to be all that God is calling her to be, well, this is accomplished by taking our lead from Christ and loving her in word, the word, and also in deed as Christ loved the church. See, Christ loved the church by doing something. It was, he spoke the word, but he also did something. He sacrificed what? Himself by being the church's savior, by being the church's provider and protector. And husbands, when we operate in this way, we help our wives to become their best Christian self. So the question, husbands, in your marriage relationship, are you doing the things that will make her better? In your marriage relationship, husbands, are you doing those things that will make her better as Christ does for the church? Are you doing those things? Husbands, how do you speak to her? Do you speak to her in a way that builds her up like Christ does the church? Or do you speak to her in a way that damages her? When you speak, do you speak to make her feel like she is nothing? That she doesn't matter? Remember, there's power in words. See, words is the one tool, guess what, that Satan and Jesus both use. That's one of the one tools that Satan and Jesus both use. And how do we know that? What does Paul tell the Ephesians in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 6? He says this in verse 6 of Ephesians chapter 5. Let no one deceive you. With empty words, for because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. So these sons of disobedience, sons of Satan, sons of the kingdom of darkness were trying to deceive the people of God with what? With words. So Satan uses words. But guess what? God uses words too. 
God uses words too. And through the apostle, for example, in Romans 8, verse 38 to 39, God says this, that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor death, nor any other created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus. See, God uses words too. To the apostle John, he says this, that greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. See, God speaks too. In the Gospel of John, he says this, that I am the good shepherd and I lay down my life for my sheep. He also says in the Gospel of John that he is the bread of life. He also says in the Gospel of John that no one will be able to snatch you out of my hand or my father's hand. So God speaks words too. So back to my husband, what words are you speaking to your wives? Are you speaking like Christ does to his church? Are you speaking like Christ does to his bride? That is our challenge because Christ was gentle. Christ was gentle. You know what? In Isaiah 42, chapter 3, I mean, verse 3, when Isaiah was describing the character of the Messiah that would come, Jesus, he described him as gentle. He says this in Isaiah 42, verse 3. He says this about the Messiah that would come. He says, a bruised reed he will not break. You know what a bruised reed is? Like a, like a branch, if you want to say, like that's just barely hanging on, that's bent over. If you've been walking through the grass fields and you know you're stepping over things, and you've seen those, those like branches that are just hanging over, it's bruised, it's about to break, a reed. He said, a bruised reed, he will not break. I think the perfect picture of this is Christ with the woman of sin in Luke 7. When the Pharisee Simeon, do you remember? The Pharisee Simeon thought this sinful woman wasn't even worthy enough to wash his feet. He didn't think this woman was worthy enough to wash his stinky, sweaty, first century dust everywhere man feet. He looked at Jesus like, why are you letting this woman touch you? But how did Jesus respond to that sinful woman? Jesus was gentle with her. He allowed her to touch him. He allowed her to, to feel him. He, he told her that her sins were forgiven. He didn't dig into her past. He did not destroy her with his words, but he was gentle. As Isaiah says, you can see the same thing with the woman caught up in adultery. Jesus was gentle. You can see this, his same gentleness with the leper who probably hadn't had human contact in years. You remember when Jesus touches the leper? Matthew, in Matthew 8, he says he touches the leper. He was gentle. That leper probably hasn't had a human contact in years, but yet Jesus was gentle. You can also see his gentleness with the woman with the issue of blood who touched him. Remember, in that society, she was considered to be unclean because she had this issue of blood. But Jesus, he allowed the unclean to touch them without berating them like the Pharisees and the Sadducees would have done. They would have been like, ew, get away from me, you're unclean. But no, Jesus is gentle. He allows the unclean to touch him. He was gentle with his action. He was gentle with his words at the right time. So husbands, who knows the abuse, the emotional and physical abuse that your wife has experienced in childhood? through previous relationships. Husbands, what will you do with that bruised reed? Will you break her? Or will you help to restore her? 
She asked me, you, you, you thought this marriage thing was just easy, right? He thought it was just me saying I do, and then, baby, can you cook me some food? No. <laughs> you got real responsibility here. You were called to lead like Jesus. You were called to love her like Christ does the church. Big responsibility here. So that was my ketchup bottle, right? That was the thing that I didn't see last week when I looked in those places and God just blew my mind. The ketchup bottle. But now in 28, where we are today, um, again, Paul, he's going to switch up this metaphor, right? He's going to switch up the metaphor. He's going to go from the relationship dynamic that he showed us in the first couple of verses, 22 to 27, and he's going to go to this intimate nearness metaphor, right? So he says in verse 28, so husbands ought to love their own wives as their own bodies. Now, how do I say this? He used the body analogy. And the beauty about the body analogy, it just shows you that you can't get any closer, basically, church. You can't get any closer than the head is to a body. Right. People say they're closer than two peas in a pod. But I think a body is much closer. It is much closer because nothing like a like a, a nose is to a mouth or a, an elbow is to a leg or a pinky is to a hand. That is true nearness. And so just from this, this analogy alone, it shows you the closeness that a husband and a wife should have for one another when it's caused the, the husband to love his wife like his own body. That's, that's so near. We are so near to our own body, right? That's the closeness that Paul is trying to get you to see here when he uses this analogy. Again, he's, he's showing you the, the closeness, the nearness that we ought to be with our own wives, husband. We should be so close, again, close as a nose is to a mouth or to a nose is to an eye. Like that is the intimacy of closeness that a husband should have with his wife and vice versa. This body analogy it's a beautiful analogy. And it's, it's a beautiful analogy because if you think about it, all of us, we really care about our body. Now, we all may not be as fit as my brother back there who hits the gym like every week, uh, like every day, I'm sorry. We may not be fit like Brother Anthony, but for the most part, guess what? We all really love our bodies. We take care of our bodies. Think about it when, at least in my family, when we get out the shower or the bath, you know what the first thing we do? We lotion up our body, right? I come from a culture, in the black culture, if you don't lotion up, they say you get ashy, right? Some of y'all probably know about that, right? You don't want to be Ashy Larry, right? If you laughed at that, you, you've you been watching Dave Chappelle, if you know that. But, but anyway, see, Veronica know what I'm talking about. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, when, when we get out the, the bath, right, we, we lotion up oftentimes. Right? We, we're, we're lotioning our body. And guess what? When it's hot outside, what do we do? When it's hot outside, before we go outside, we put on what? Sunscreen, right? right. What, why are we doing that? To protect our bodies. Right? We, we, we care about our bodies. So we put on sunscreen so our, our body doesn't get burnt. We, we care about this body. It, even me lately, I've been trying to watch what I put in my body, right? Making sure I don't drink too many sugary drinks and, and watching the food that I put in my body. So Paul says in verse 28, he who loves his wife loves himself. 
Why? Because we love, our, we love us and ourselves. We love our bodies. And so he said, if you love your wife, he who loves his wife loves himself. The question you should be saying, why does he say that? Why does he say that if I love my wife, I love myself? Well, the answer to that question is found in verse 31. Look what he says in verse 31. You'll see why he says the husband shall love their wives as their own body. He who loves his own wife loves himself. The answer is in verse 31. Look what he says here. He says, for this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and shall be joined to his wife and the two shall become what? One flesh. Now, I know we often hear this verse, the two shall become one. We often hear this verse at Christian weddings, right? That's, that's one of the verses we, we, we bring out. But, but Paul is showing us that this verse, verse 31, has its ultimate meaning and fulfillment in Christ and the church. That Christ and his church, his disciples are so close, so knitted together that the best way to describe their nearness is to use the imagery of a human body. So he says, one flesh. So believers, what do you mean when you say that? Nobody knows how I feel and understands what I'm going through. Guess what? Christ does. Why? Because you are a part of his body. He knows when you are feeling down. He knows when you are hurt. Just like you, you know when your back hurts and you know when your foot hurts and you know when your leg hurts. Same thing. You are part of Christ. He knows everything about you. You guys are that close. So we should get that language one out of our vocabulary. Christ knows how you feel. You are part of his body. You are that near to him. Again, just like we know every bump and bruise in our body. Why? Because it is our body. It's the same thing with Christ. He knows everything about us. He knows what we're dealing with. He knows when we are feeling down. He knows when we are anxious. He knows when we are stressed out. Why? Because we are his body. We are one. And this is the standard of nearness that should be in a marriage, that the two bodies become one. For example, with my wife, guess what? My wife can look at me. She can do an eye gesture. She can do her face a certain way, and guess what? I know everything she is saying. Why? Because we have become one. That's the oneness. And this is why I believe, this is one of the reasons why I believe that God is so opposed to divorce. Because think about it, in divorce, you're literally ripping a body in half. If these two people have now become one body, when you divorce, you are just ripping. I want you to see it as grotesque. You are ripping this body in half, and now you're going to go stitch it up with something else. I wonder if that's why God so is opposed to divorce. You are ripping a body, a body that has become one. That's why when you look at these old screw marriages where people have been married for, for 50, 60, 40 years, and their spouse passes away, that other person is like, another part of me died. I'm no longer whole. Why? Because they have become one. So this analogy that Paul is using with this body, it is profound. It's profound because it shows you Christ's nearness to the church. It shows you Christ's nearness to us. But again, it shows you just about marriage in general. That we have to be near to our wife, near to our spouse as our own body. So he says in verse 29, he says, no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes it and cherishes it just as Christ does the church. Believers, do you realize that? 
We, the church, Christ nourishes us. Do you, do you know what nourishment means? Nourishment is when you're providing the things that a body needs for it to grow and flourish. That's what Paul says for, for the body. He says, no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes it and cherishes it, just as Christ also does the church. Christ nourishes his body, meaning he gives his body the things that it needs to grow and to flourish and to go forward. And one of the ways he, he nourishes his church, that's what we've seen back in Ephesians 4. In Ephesians 4, 8, when he says this, when he ascended up on high, he led, host a, he led a captive of hosts and he gave some gifts to men. And verse 11, it says this back in Ephesians 4, he gave some as apostles and some as prophets and some as evangelists and some as pastors and some as teachers. Why did he give those gifts to the church? For the building up of the body. So one of the ways that Christ nourishes his church is by the gifts that he gives. He gives the church all these different um, roles, like apostles, pastors, teachers. He's giving you, the, some of you, the gifts of healing. He's giving you some of the gifts of helps. He's giving you some of the gifts of uh, compassion. Many of us have all these different gifts, and it is through these gifts, it is through different people that Christ nourishes his body, the church. He nourishes his body through, again, Christian artists, through Christian musicians and Christian rappers and, and Christian bloggers and YouTubers and authors and poets. This is how he nourishes his body. Or this is one of the ways that Christ nourishes his body. It is through the gifts that he gives his church. So husbands, if Christ nourishes the church through the gifts that he gives the church, what gift has God given you? And are you using that gift to nourish your wife as Christ does the church? Are you using that gift that God has given you to nourish your wife? See, it'll be a shame for God to give you the gift of mercy. And you go around showing everybody else mercy, showing mercy to the homeless, showing mercy to these people over here, showing mercy to people at your church. But when you come home, you show your wife no mercy. Or if you've been given the gifts of help and you're going all over Sacramento, you're helping the poor, you're helping the homeless, you're helping immigrants, you're helping people get on their feet. But when it comes home, you don't use this gift of helps with your wife. Or if you're like me, Jerome, and you have this gift of teaching, you go and you teach everyone else. You go to the prisons, you go to a homeless shelter, but you get home. Do I nourish my wife with my gift of teaching? I fall short in that area, church. I fall short. And I'm always apologizing to my wife. Because I go everywhere else when I get home, I'm tired and I don't nourish her with my gift, but I teach everyone else. See, husbands, what is your gift? Use that gift. It's Christ that's the church here and nourishes the church with gifts. You must use your gift to nourish your wife. So you can help her to become her best Christian self. So you can make sure that she grows and matures and that she flourishes through your gift. So it's the nourishment. That's what we do to our bodies. We give our bodies what it needs. Think about when your body is hurting and you're bruised and you're beaten. What do we do? We go get bandages. We wrap our body up. We take care of this body. We get in a major accident or whatever. We go get physical therapy. Why? To get this body back in shape. We care about this body. 
we're not feeling right. So we start researching different medicines and, and herbal treatments and, and holistic foods. We do all these things. Why? Because of our body that we so care about our body. And Paul says, you never heard of your own flesh. That's how you need to love your wife. Like you love your body. Like you do all of this stuff for your own body. That's how you have to treat your wife. Husbands. To nourish her. What's your gift? To give her the things that she needs that she can grow and flourish as Christ does us, his church. Next, Paul says, not just nourishes, but he says that the husband, like we do with our own flesh, and Christ with the church, he cherishes it, cherishes our flesh. We cherish it as Christ does the church. Think about that, church. Do you realize that Christ cherishes you? You are his body. That's what the Bible says. You are his body. And Christ cherishes you, his body. That's what the scripture says. So Christ cherishes you. Think about that. He cherishes you. So wait, me a disciple of Jesus, yes. Me a follower of Christ. Me as a member of his own body. Christ does not just put up with me, but he actually cherishes me. Yes, that's what the scripture is saying. He cherishes you. And if you don't believe me, believe the scriptures. It says it right there. No one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it just as Christ does the church. He cherishes us. See, oftentimes we think that God is just putting up with us. Because we think of all of our flaws and our shortcomings. And so we just think that God is just putting up, putting up with us. But no. You are a part of Christ now. You are a part of Christ's body. So guess what? You are cherished. You're cherished. Because you're a part of Christ's body. Again, how do you know? Because Paul says it here in the scripture. But let me just give you some more proof to show you that you are cherished. In John chapter 6, verse 39, Jesus says this. This is the will of him, his father, who sent me that all that he has given me, I will lose nothing, but will raise it up on the last day. So we have been given to Jesus by the father who Jesus loves. And he's, Jesus is saying, my father has given you to me. So the, the people that my father has given me, guess what? I'm not going to lose any but I'm going to raise it up on the last day. I, that is cherished, right? My father has given you to me. Guess what? I'm going to hold you tight. I'm, I'm not going to lose any. That is cherished. That means special. When you cherish something, you're saying it is special. And Jesus said that my father has given you to me. So guess what? I'm not going to lose anyone. That's cherished. That means you are special. The father has given you to me. You want more proof that you are cherished by the Lord? Look what he says here. And the Gospel of John, again, chapter 10, Jesus says this in verse 11. Gospel of John, chapter 10, he says this. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for his sheep. Why does he lay down his life for his sheep? Because they are loved. They are cherished. They are special to him. You don't lay down your life like that just for nothing. He lays down his life for his sheep because his sheep are special to him. They are cherished. You got to say, you are cherished, church. You who are, who are in Jesus, you are cherished. You are special to him. 
you cherish. He cherishes his body. He cherishes his bride. You can say in that same chapter of John chapter 10, you can move over to verse 28 and 29 where Jesus says this, no one will snatch them out of my hand and no one will be able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. That is cherish. I'm not letting you go. This is mine. This is mine. I, I got you, church. I, I got you, saints. You are mine. My, my Father has given you to me. You are cherished. You are, you are mine. You are part of my body. That is special. That's cherished. You're cherished. You're part of the body. So back to my husbands. Do you cherish your wife? Is she special to you? See, brothers, you're not, you're not going to sacrifice for something that you don't cherish. That's not dear to you. You're not going to be able to love her like Christ loved the church if you don't cherish her. So, so husbands, do you, do you cherish your wives? Do you believe that she is a gift from God to you and like Christ keeps the gift in the thing that God has given him who he will not lose? Do you do, you do the same thing for her? Is she really your gift? Just as Christ says that no one will be able to snatch you out of my hand or the Father's hand and all that the Father has given me, I will not lose any because they are special. Do you see your wife in that same way? Do you cherish her as a gift that God has given me? God has given me this woman. I'm going to cherish her because you are from God. God has given you, me, um, you, me, or her to you. I said it in reverse, but yeah. Yeah, um, that sounded bad the other way. Like, I'm your gift. Yeah, no, like, not saying that. Um, the husband and wife can say that, but I'm not going to go to my wife and say, I'm your gift. Like, I'm just, just not, not going to do that, right? But when you treat her as truly a gift from God, that's the question. Will you tell her with your mouth that she's special to you? Will you show her with your actions that she is special to you like Christ did the church by sacrificing himself, by shedding his blood? That's our challenge, husbands. But as Paul says, this greater mystery is Christ in the church. That Christ would love his bride so dearly. That Christ would be so near to his bride, that he would be so near to us. That's the ultimate mystery. That's the ultimate thing. So, husband, I pray that you're challenged. Church, believers, wives, I pray that you are just feel loved by Christ, that he would do all that for you. That he would cherish you. That he provides you with nourishment. That he's sacrificed for you. That he's giving you his word to make you better, to help you flourish, to help you grow, to help you mature. And our husbands, we are called to be these many Christ in a marriage relationship and do the same with our wives. That's why I say to husbands, you got a tall order. I know we all get caught up on verse 22, wives submit to your husbands. But if you look at, that's only one verse. The rest of that, Paul, is all on the husband. And so next week, we'll look at, back to verse 22, wives submit to your own husbands. We'll close out. So that was our two parts on the husband. So husbands, again, we got a tall order. When I read that, I went to my wife. I'm like, man, they didn't tell me this in marriage counseling. <laughs> like, I, that's, this is heavy. But this is God's call. And by his spirit, husbands, man, we can, we, can, we can live this thing out. We can do this.
So let us pray. Heavenly Father, God, you are good. We thank you for your word. Jesus, thank you for being so near to us. We are your body. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for continuing to nourish us. I still can't believe, Jesus, that you cherish us. You're so good, Lord. May each saint here, God, I feel your nearness. May they understand that they're loved by you. Bring that revelation, Lord God. Bring that rhema word in their spirit where they get it. And that's the husband in Psalms, or a song of Solomon, heart beats faster as his bride looks at him, God. May we, our heart beat faster as we come closer and closer to your love. Praise your name, Jesus. Amen.